everybody, I'm Jeff, and this is Casual Chats in a Parallel Universe. My dad and I have been having daily conversations about family, history, life lessons, movies, news, music, and more. Now we are sharing these chats with you. So welcome to our podcast, and we hope you enjoy. We're live. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. Face to face. Yeah. I, I have invited each one of my family members to be a guest on the podcast. Oh. And uh, Max said he will think about it. <laughs> Stacy said she needs uh, to have a specific invite. So she like just, a subject. She, well, she just can't come spontaneously. She needs. Oh, she can't. No, I need. She's we, not an extemporaneous speaker. We need to set a date with uh, her with a subject. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. I'm sure. Could the uh, subject be you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely could be. I'm sure she would have a lot to say on that subject. And maybe we can suck her in by coming in with a specific, and then we shift right in the middle of the episode. Right. Well, I mean. I, that might not be great for me, but you <laughs> but know. it would be good for the podcast. Uh, hey, it might be. People might yeah. really enjoy like it. just tearing me down. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then there's Sarah, who I think would be here, but she was sleeping oh. at the time. You know, just getting home from well, college. She might come just to you know view the proceedings. She might. She might. And then so. maybe we just suck her in. There you go. Yeah. Uh, maybe next time. Yeah. So where 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 did we we left off the last time with uh, the the, the end of my law practice? And, yes, and the beginning of uh, of the Eastern European adventure. Well, that's you right. Could call it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, I guess we we talked about my transition where I was uh, basically a private or a lawyer providing legal services to uh, this client who turned out to be eventually uh, my largest client was taking up 85% of my right. practice. And uh, they came to me and said, hey, you know, we want you to, we like what you do. We want you to come on full time. We want you to work for the company and be our in-house. And I said, okay, here's what it's going to take. And they said, you got it, baby. That's right. And I said immediately, I came in too low. <laughs> I should have come in with bigger money. But as it worked but out. But I mean, if you do that, I mean, is there any concern that you come in too high? Or it's always, well, a, I mean, because I, I, I've done that before with some jobs of mine where I, you know, even even when I was, I remember when I was working at Big Brother and, and they, you know, they were, they said, this is how much you make. And I'm like, well, this is how much I make on my other jobs. And right. unless you're going to be competitive, then there's no, and they're like, well, we, we offer everybody the same right. amount, which I knew wasn't true. And I said, look, I said, I'm not talking to anybody else. I said, this is a negotiation between you and I, I said, so I'm yeah. just, you know, and they, they weren't interested. Well, I think, um, because I, it was funny. I talked to, and they, uh, they weren't a, interested in negotiating anyway. Well, I talked years ago because that's that topic came up. I was talking with a uh, headhunter. This was years before the Russian company, and uh, talking about you know going into a compensation negotiation. What do you you know? 
if they they say, well, what, how much? What are you looking for? And then you say, well, and and a lot of this is, you know, how much preparation did you do? Did you find out, you know, what's what's the salary range for the position, or you're just walking in cold, uh, which I've done a couple of times, you know, trying to get a job in a law firm, and you know, you kind of know what the range is, but they say, well, what, you know, how much are you looking for? And then, of course, well, how much are you paying? And uh, the the response is, you know, we're asking you what you're looking for. Yeah, this isn't a game. This is we're looking for. What are you looking for? And, you know, the the, the advice from the compensation consultant was, as long as you've thought about it and you're comfortable with the number and the number is, you know, something that you would really like to have, not necessarily you got to have, but like to have. Um, and that's all there is to it. It's not It's not a question of, oh, geez, I left money on the table. It's a question of if you go in asking for the number that you're you're happy with and they give it to you, well, then you're happy with it. Yeah, you shouldn't, you know, second second guess yourself. You're happy with it. Now, on the other hand, if you go in lowballing, trying to, you just you got to have a job. Uh, well, it's a different situation. But that was the that was the advice I got. If you're happy with the number and they accept it, you know, how could you be unhappy? So you were happy with the number. I was happy. I mean, I I, I gave a number that I felt. Uh, was it was more money that I was making off my private law practice, so that was one thing. Number two, it removes the uh, uncertainty of private law practice, which is, you know, every lawyer. The question is, well, what's my next? You know, where's my next gig? You know, my next influx of money coming from? Where where is it coming from? Right. And I guess it's you know same same thing that everybody has. It's a, a sole proprietor. You have that same question, you know where where am I going to get money? yeah drum up business somehow yeah, yeah. yeah. So in this particular case, I'm, I said, well, if I get this number, not only am I making more money, but it's coming in every month. Right. I know exactly how much I'm making, and they they you know hung the carrot out there that there were there would be bonuses. Right. No guarantees, but nevertheless. So, um, and it was it, it was very as, as I think I said in in um, previous episodes. You know, I had a a fairly decent international background. So, uh, the fact that this was an international company with international transactions and um, you know, contracts, working with people that were expert in various fields, it, it became, you know, it, it, it appeared to me that not only would this be something that the money was good, but it would be you know, challenging. It would be fun. Um, travel, which I always, at, at that point in time, I enjoyed right. quite a bit. I think you still do. And, you know, eh, you're not, an adventure. not as much, but but right. yeah, I maybe mean, not necessarily to the to oh, the, to Russia right now. But but you're an adventurer. You like to oh yeah, like to yeah. Do, yeah. explore. Definitely. 
Had you had you been to Russia never. before? Never. Okay. So this was been to, been to Europe uh, quite a few times, both for business and and um, on vacation with with mom, but uh, I'd never been to Eastern Europe really at all. And it was, you know, I I think it, it, there was some ro- romance to it because you know my my family roots are from Eastern Europe, right? And uh, you know, at the time, well, anyway, they, they're from they were from Eastern Europe, and I had this thing in my mind that wow, maybe I might have the opportunity to travel to the Ukraine, you know, maybe even go to where uh, my family was, right? You know, lived so that you know, maybe that, there were even some some yeah, yeah ancestors I mean, over there. Yeah, I mean, you never know. It, 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 it and. You know, as the as I tell the story, of course, I did eventually I did get to go to the Ukraine. I did get to go to where my family was. And so it was it was an amazing experience. So where where exactly is the birthplace of? Well, there's there's no real certainty. That's the that's the real problem is because um, not to digress too much, but. At the time that the families, the all these Jew, these Jewish families were living in um, what was then uh, Ukraine, which was you know back before uh, the Soviet Union cropped up. Uh, Ukraine was a, I think, a larger country than it is now. And anyway, the the Jews were settled in this area called uh, the Pale of Settlement. And this was a it was a huge area, and there were lots lots of what were called shtetls, little villages of you know conclaves of Jews, and you know you know, except for the major the major or larger villages cities, uh, the names of these things you're trying to get the actual name I was you. not easy. So they were like little townships or well, something but, like that. But, but the names kind of morphed, you know, if you hear, if you were talking to your grandfather and he mentioned where he came from, you know, you're listening to it. This is Yiddish. You know, how did that translate to the actual name that appeared on a map? Right. If this, if this shtetl was even on a map. Gotcha. So it, it's, it was difficult, but I, I kind of had, a concept of where it was. It was south of, of uh, Kiev and uh, north of, if I can pronounce this correctly, uh, Dinopropetrovsk, uh, which was uh, a larger city in the south of the Ukraine. So it was kind of like halfway in between. Gotcha. So uh, I did eventually get to travel there. But anyway, we can get to that uh, some other time. But, sure. But it, that was in the back of my mind, too. Hey, this might be an opportunity. You know, you never know. Um, and, I, and, and there was the fact that, uh, as an example, um, mom's uncle, Kitty, I think we, we talked about the, yes. the, that lived in Fernandina. He was born in Romania. And uh, but they left when he was two years old. So he later in his life uh, traveled back to Romania and actually went back to the city that he came Probably from. His birth, yeah, yeah, and and uh, 
I remember him saying it was an amazing experience, you know. And they actually found, uh, at that point, they actually found some old, old people living in, in the, the village that had some recollection of his family. Oh, wow. So he, you know, so anyway, all that was stew. Kind of in, in, in the stew. Right. Um, so basically, you know, my, my initial work with uh, the company was all, you know, was centered around um, the uh, relationship between the international transactions and the United States, because my expertise was in U.S. tax, taxation of international transactions. So that's what, you know, they were focused on uh, for me to do. But uh, as, you know, as time went by, I became involved in more, more stuff because things were, when, when I started working for them, which was, I think, like 94. I mean, when I was working for them full-time. Right. It was either 94 or 95, something like that. So I'd just gone off to college, basically. Yeah. Or yeah. been off for about a year. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I, I organ, you know, they, uh, it was necessary for me to uh, go over and meet some of the people. So there was a... Um, a meeting uh, in Moscow that uh, I was supposed to attend. So this was my first opportunity. And by meeting some of the people, like we're talking about the 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 heads of state, basically. No, 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 no. I mean, I did meet, I did meet some low level people, but I never met like a, you know, like the president or right. of this or that, but. Yeah, I met some. I met some government people. No, I just meant as far as the company goes. Like when you went over there, it was to meet the the oh the, the higher ups in the company. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, these were the top managers of the company. And gotcha. So, I think my first trip over, uh, of course, was you know the business part of it is would not be very interesting, but. The part that I found so incredible was the actual trip, the flight into Moscow. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, I grew up in a time when, you know, the USSR was the big, bad, yeah. commie, right. you know, uh, duck and cover, get under nuclear, sure. blowout stuff. You know, I mean, the, these were, this was... Uh, you know, they were an existential threat to my existence, or so I thought. Right. You know, this is this is the way the U.S. has played uh, this thing uh, since time immemorial. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, if you're a communist, oh, you're yeah. so yeah, that's, that's and, bad. and plus plus the fact that everything I had ever seen, you know, of Russia was you know this dreary, right, horrible looking place. People are trudging along and you have these old babushkas in the street that are just, you know, they look like they can barely take yeah. a step and they're going to these, these stores that have no food in them or no, and people standing in bread lines and all this stuff. The clouds, are, it's always dark and it's, oh, it's like, oh, it's and, just hard. Yeah. So, you know, I'm expecting, 
you know, we're flying into Sheremetyevo Airport, which is their their main airport in Moscow. Moscow. Right. And uh, so we, you know, we land and, you know, the, the, the terminal was, you know, it wasn't, wasn't horrible, but it wasn't anything, you know, like you would like you would think like like uh, Kennedy. Sure, you know, the, this is the airport in, in and Ro- so the the terminal was somewhat old, you know, and and uh, but uh, because I was with the big wig company, uh, we entered. We went through what's called VIP. So instead of going with the the hoi polloi, you right. know, having to go in, going through the stand standard in line, yeah, and, yeah, you know, the whole thing. We were you weren't part of the cattle. We were ushered into the VIP lounge, so we go in there, and you know, it's nice. It looks like an old club, you know, type look. It's kind of wood and dark on, you know, wood on the walls and stuff, right? Kind of like a clubby atmosphere. Gotcha. And uh, it's like could, a DJ. There's spinning. a bar there. No, no. Well, I mean, no, not really. But there was just a club atmosphere. I gotcha. So you just sat down, you just chilled. And there was a bar, you said. There was well, a bar. there was a there was a bar and uh, so you could, you know, sit and sip a drink and uh, and it, right right as part of the club was the immigration and customs guy was sitting right there. So gotcha. you just walked over, handed him your passport. And your uh, baggage tags, and uh, they kind of took care of everything. So it was really there was no hassle. And we're I just sat there and we chilled and had a, you know just talking. And all of a sudden, hey, here's your passport. Here's all your all your bags are all cleared. You know, time to go. So right. it was man, this was incredible. You know, I'm getting. Feeling like a big uh, VIP. Yeah, know, this is this is big time. So we drove into we drove into Moscow, and I tell you, it was just amazing. I mean, the traffic jam jams were incredible. There were so many cars, and uh, and so little organization. I mean, people are driving all over the place, and <laughs> I mean, it was just nuts. It was just absolutely nuts. It would because. The the Soviet Union, of course, had fallen apart uh, in I guess eighty nine ninety. Yeah, and um, I was going to say not so too th- long before. Yeah, that. not too yeah. long before. And so things were kind of as as I think I mentioned in a in a previous uh, deal. It was kind of like the uh, wild wild west. You know, right. it, it yes, uh, you could. I, it was just just amazing. Uh, and we're driving, you know, on these big huge. Um, highways that are split into like four different, there's just lanes of traffic going crazy, you know, I mean, going both ways, obviously. And, uh, but, but I mean, people are just, you had cars with blue lights on top, didn't know what the hell that meant. Right. And they're just weaving in and out of traffic. And it just, you could just do stuff like that. And sometimes the cops would stop you. Uh, but not not really. They just were looking for for money, right? Because the people in the government were not getting really paid. So these guys, these cops, are just making enough they're looking for bribes. Yeah, looking for bribes. Yeah. And we got stopped by by a cop, and of course, the driver paid him off, and right. we sped off. So it was uh, it was you know my eyes are popping around looking at everything, and 
and we get closer into the um, the center of Moscow, and there are just little um, like shops that are sitting right on the, these are I I didn't know what to call them. They weren't trailers like bodegas kind of yeah kind of like but they were sitting right on the curb right they had been built and were were permanently sitting hmm. on the curb right there next to the street and these were you know they were selling tchotchkes and all kinds of stuff right that were just being sold right and it looked like a bazaar it was amazing you know and i'm going i didn't expect anything like this you right. know i'm like i'm expecting you know bread lines and and I'm seeing all, instead of seeing old people and, you know, grudging around, I see nothing but young, good-looking. I'm telling you, women were absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And the guy, you know, young guys and people are, you know, hustle, bustling around. And it was just nothing like I thought it was going to be, nothing at all. Um, so that was that was truly amazing. Hmm. And uh, we we ended up. You know, we went went to the office building first. first. You yeah. didn't go check into your hotel or anything. No, like no, that. no, no, no. Straight no, to the straight no. to business. No, we never. the The first thing every time I went to to Eastern Europe, you hit the ground running. Okay. There's no downtime. It's hit it and on to go. the next. So we uh, we went to an initial meeting in this, you know, really beautiful. Uh, office, you know, very modern office building. Again, a shocker. Right. Uh, I mean, I, you, of course, you did see, uh, th- like, most of the buildings were what you would consider to be Soviet-era era buildings, but there was also a, a decent amount of relatively modern structures. Sure. And um, there had been surprising amount of real estate development, and you could see Lots of buildings under construction. Uh, there was a lot of money that was already feeding into uh, to Moscow specifically, right? Um, to build uh, office buildings and other, you know, restaurants. There was a lot of restaurants. I, it was just amazing. It was it was the hustle bustle. It was not New York, but I, it was it was kind of exciting. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's interesting that the you you like listening to what you're saying and then hearing the you know I I I imagine like when you're doing cake frosting and you make the cake frosting and you put it in the thing and then you squeeze it and to to make the design on the cake yeah and at the top of it is like the Moscow that you're seeing all the frosting going in and then as it narrows down and it squeezes out at the bottom, the little bit that comes out is what yeah, you're receiving yeah, yeah. At, here. Like yeah. that's what you're seeing as, as the government and, you know, the media, I say media, but the co- basically the coverage from there just gets constrained down to more, more of a, you know, I, I mean, it's interesting the amount, I don't want to say it's propaganda because it's almost like just lack of information, really. You just receive very little information, but it's propaganda in the sense that you're only receiving. Oh, the information the, they the, want the, you to. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, that, that and or it's just the, the bad information. You're not getting the view that you're getting. Right. right. That, well, that That's what was so amazing. You got to just dehumanize 
your enemy. Yeah. Yes, of course. And you're you're 100% right. That was this dichotomy that I'm seeing, you know, wow, you know, this is nothing like I was I was told. And and as I'm meeting people, you know, meeting, you know, going to business meetings and, you know, meeting these Russian people, a lot of them spoke English. Uh, most of them were multilingual. Right. And, uh, you know, which, of course, most Americans are not. So uh, it was it was just quite, quite interesting. But so anyway, so we go to the, you know, the initial meeting in this really nice office. And and uh, the company that I was working for, you know, was was had several floors within this office building. So obviously the company was, you know, doing well. Excuse me. At least upon appearances, anyway. No, no, it, it was it was doing very well, and um, I mean, I had, I, I think we had described the, or I had described the initial business was, you know, they started off as um, basically an import export company, right, uh, and that uh, they were mainly involved in food stuff, as we talked about previously, and then, and and I'll leave the. I'll leave the the story about the shift of how things shifted for, you know, for for a different okay for a different uh, podcast. But uh, effectively, what happened was is that that the company was able through through their import export business to eventually get into the oil and the mainly the gas business, uh, natural gas. Gotcha. So, um, fossil fuels, fossil fuels, right? And the 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 gas that, and and I don't know. Most people in this in the U.S. really don't understand anything about natural gas. Uh, I mean, they understand how it comes out of the out of the wall. Nah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe, but <clears throat> and and funnily enough, I had in my background, my legal background, I had spent a significant amount of time uh, doing oil and gas deals in the U.S. Uh, in, you know, the, and those deals were mainly located in, in Ohio and Texas. And so, but I had learned, I actually knew quite a bit about the gas business, yeah. about how wells were drilled the infrastructures that were required. And so if I generally understood how it worked. So, well, that's also my grandfather, your father was uh, sort of, I mean, he, he, he was a part of the oil refining business, right? I mean, he, uh, he created. Yeah, not right. Not really. He, he didn't, they didn't refine anything. They just filtered. Gotcha. Yeah. They were filtering it, but, but he under, he knew, he would have known the chemical process, but he wouldn't have known anything about drilling oil, gas, oil okay. and gas wells. He was a chemical engineer, so he was involved in in how you would fill bottles and and uh, mix uh, chemicals together in order to get a specific uh, product. But in any event, I, I did have a background and did have a. a, a a decent understanding of oil and gas. So I understood how it was drilled, how you drilled wells, how you, but in any event, the, the, in the former Soviet Union, 
without getting into too much depth, Russia was one of the largest exporters of natural gas in the world. Still is, right? It is. No, state, well, yeah. it was before all the, this yeah, stuff. the with, sanctions and yeah. everything. But, but it, um, it produced uh, one-third of the natural gas that uh, for Western Europe. So Germany, yeah. France, um, all these Eastern, uh, Western European countries were buying a lot of natural gas from. So the, the, to have a basic, just a real basic understanding of the gas business, there were two really huge deposits of natural gas. One was in Siberia and one uh, was in Turkmenistan. And, you know, back in the days when the Soviet Union was intact, the, the gas pipeline system, which was all created by the Soviet Union, the, the, the fact that, you know, the gas fields were located where they were, other than the geographic location itself, really wasn't important because these, these quote, countries, unquote, were all part of the Soviet Union. Right. So they, they might have had, you know, local governments, but didn't matter because Moscow or, or Russia controlled everything. Right. So the fact that the, these deposits were located in, in uh, Siberia or in Turkmenistan didn't really matter. But after the breakup of the Soviet Union, all of a sudden, the, the geography of where these things were all of a sudden mattered quite a bit. Yeah. Because these pipelines that ran through uh, from these fields were pipelines that uh, ran through a lot of different countries. And so that became a big deal. Because everybody wants a piece. Well, everybody owns the the gas pipeline in their country right. before it was owned by the USSR. Yeah. So it didn't matter. But after independence, all these countries became independent. All of a sudden, you have to negotiate ding, ding, ding. Sure. So in, in with respect to my company, the company that I worked for, they were buying natural gas that was being produced in Turkmenistan. And if the audience isn't familiar with that, Turkmenistan sits on the northern border of Iran. So it's almost, you know, it's it's Asia, but it's part of the, you know, it's it's close part to the of the Middle East, East, but it's very close right. to the Middle East. Middle East adjacent. Yes. So uh, that was of the two, you know, of the two areas in the former Soviet Union, that was one of the big, you know, one of the big two. So we we had a deal that our company was buying gas at a good solid price, and then that gas had to transit all the way from Turkmenistan all the way to the Ukraine, which is where we were selling gas. So that required again not to get bogged down too much in geography, but it it basically went from Turkmenistan to Uzbekistan, to Kazakhstan, and then into Russia, and then finally into um, Ukraine. Ukraine. So we had a negotiate, or, or the company had negotiated uh, gas transit agreements with e with each one of those companies, uh, countries. Sorry. And you were part of all those. No, no, no. I'm the, just giving the background. This is so. This is this is how the company was set up. Right. Um, 
that was all of that was handled by uh, lawyers that were expert in dealing with um, you know natural gas and transit. Yeah, because these are actually utilities. Even in the United States, the the gas um, pipelines are considered public utilities, right? Uh, because they they distribute this commodity that you use in your house. So they're mainly public utilities regulated uh, in that manner. So, um, but but that was the that was the business we were buying and selling natural gas, and. The company had become, uh, had become, and it was continuing to grow. Was was selling more and more natural gas in the Ukraine, and uh, in other locations as well. It uh, it it got it was very successful and very profitable. And here I am, you know, walking into the middle of this, and uh, you know they're they're talking about deals because this is the period of time. As we talked about, capital is really beginning to flow into Russia, right. Western capital. So there are all kinds of opportunities here to um, get involved potentially in like a uh, an electrical generation facility or the building of a pipeline or all kinds of opportunities here that uh, because the capital was looking for a place to go. And uh, the investment bankers, you know, the Goldman Sachs's and all of the of the the world that are looking to place this capital, uh, all this was on the this was be starting to be served up, and this is kind of what I got involved in was working with all of these our internal teams and also the external teams of how to put. These deals together, right? And um, and it was it was amazing. I mean, it it really so it was uh, very right place, right time. Oh yeah, for you, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you stepped in right as yep, right as all this was blowing up. And and my my big contribution to all this was uh, I had come up with this tax structure that allowed the company to. Uh, operate legally and uh, not be taxed, even though it was a, quote, U.S. company, it was not being taxed in the U.S. because the the transactions were all extraterritorial from the U.S. They were strictly um, Eastern European, effectively Eastern European transactions. <clears throat> They were subject to Russian tax, but so we put together me and two other tax experts, international tax experts, put together a structure, uh, a worldwide structure, a holding company structure that would allow the company to do business uh, and and minimize the amount of tax that it had to pay. So that was my my big contribution, and so um, starting in say ninety. 94, 95, 96, things are really getting exciting. I mean, you can't, it's it's hard to describe uh when when a when money, you know, big money sure. sees an opportunity to get 
involved in in business that is pretty much unregulated because the government at that point, at least in in Russia, was just you know this was the time of you know the the timing was like Boris Yeltsin and right. you know this was this was like again the wild wild west. So when you have the wild wild west, you have very little oversight. Uh, oversight, yeah, you know, governmental oversight, and whatever oversight you have is maybe you know not Loose. the uh, the best, right? So maybe those people are looking with their hand say, out yeah, looking yeah, yeah. for some money. So it was important, you know, we had to be very careful who we were dealing with because you you can get yourself in a lot of trouble, not just you know in Russia, but I mean even. Anywhere else, you know, in the U.S. or or you just you you want to make sure you're dealing with, with up and up people. The company continued to grow, and because of that, there these the, all this money from um, the U.S. and and also from uh, the U.K. There was U.K. money, German money, uh, looking to get involved and to be to get a foothold in Russia. And to make money on these big deals. I mean, there, you know, I was talking about, you know, there was a lot of skyscrapers going up. Right. So there were, and people were looking for office space. So it was, you know, Western companies were looking for office space. So there's this huge demand. So all of a sudden, you know, office buildings are needed and developers come in. And so things are running wild on the, on the uh, real estate side. And then also on these big infrastructure uh, projects like uh, building electrical generation plants or uh, any type of, of uh, public utility or private utility. Uh, so all of that was and we're and I'm working on these deals uh, because my company is involved. You know, we're we're a company that has access to huge amounts of natural gas and uh so the there are opportunities here. So that's what what basically uh, trans- occurred until you know, as with anything else, there's there's a, there's a tipping point, you know? right? And that tipping tipping point came in in uh, 1998. Without getting into you know all the reasons for it, the main thing was is the ruble had a fixed uh, exchange rate. So you could, it was pretty, it was preset what, what you could trans, transact, you know, a dollar for Before rubles. 1998. Yeah. Yeah. It was, so in 1998, the government stopped supporting the ruble. The Russian government. Yeah. And they said, we're just going to let it float, you know, which effectively the market is going to set the exchange rate. All of a sudden, everything went to crap. Um you know, companies were because when when you have a floating uh, currency, especially it's an emerging, you know, uh, country. Um, people are worried about that currency. You know, what, what, how much stability does it have? Right. And and if you're dealing in if you were dealing in in rubles, boy, that was so everything had to be in dollar denominated contracts, and that meant the people that were dealing in rubles were. You know, having issues. So, it, what would I mean? What would be the point 
of the government doing that? Why why would they all of a sudden leave well, because the structure to, to go to a to a floating for someone like me who who is very layman in all of this? Uh, you know, what, well, what if, would, not to get again, not to get too bogged down, but is there is there yeah, sort I mean, of a simple? A, yeah, there's, there's if if the government is supporting the currency, it means the government is buying the currency. So, if just as an example, let's say the exchange rate is is ten rubles to a dollar. Okay, not, but. Uh, let's make it a hundred, hundred rubles to a dollar. Okay. So a ruble's worth a penny right. in, in the example. So if, if that's a fixed exchange rate and, you know, people are selling rubles, well, that means that the buyers, you know, there, there need to be buyers. And if there aren't buyers, it means the country has to come in and start buying its own rubles hmm. and that means and and they that means they have to take their reserves of dollars or euros or whatever and use those reserves to buy their currency well all of a sudden that means that their their foreign currency reserves start to get pulled down right and they use those reserves because a country has to buy it has to enter into um, foreign exchange contracts or contracts in a foreign currency because they're buying products offshore that they need for their people and for their society. So if if they're using all of their currency to buy rubles, they don't have sufficient or they're not eventually going to have sufficient currency to buy goods and services that they need uh, offshore. So the government said, we can't do this. We can't do this. It, well, it's not like the Federal Reserve, but it, it, it's effectively every, uh, that's just in, from a sim simple that's standpoint, fine. that's the way it works. Got it. So when that happened, the government wasn't stepping in to buy. So that meant that the, the market was setting and all of a sudden the bottom fell out from underneath the the ruble because nobody and, nobody's buying rubles. No, nobody went from I I don't even remember what it was. It was it was the fixed rate was you know fairly decent. I can't remember whether it was ten twelve to a dollar, but anyway, it it went into the twenties. And people, if you have a contract that's a ruble contract, and all of a sudden the ruble just blows up, right, and it's not worth anything. You're getting paid in worthless currency, so all these you know people are going not worthless, but worth much less. Yeah, it'd be pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden, all these deals, you know, people started realizing, you know, we're we're all bought into this euphoria and thing. This this thing is is just exploding. Uh, I mean, blowing up. Right. And uh, and and the U.S. was the the U.S. Really, I'm not saying it intentionally created this, but they weren't unhappy to see the, the Russia blow up. Sure, you know, blow up economically. Yeah. So well, you got to keep them in check. You, yeah, but you it's, keep it, your thumb. You keep them under thumb. It's like anything else. You you know, you be careful what you wish for because right. you're going to get it. And in in a lot of ways, that's kind of why we are where we are in the world today is because of 
of of you know this is my this is my play or my view. your point of view right? my view is is that if the us had been friendlier in trying not not you know bailing them out but but just assisting you know trying to help this this nascent democracy that was russia uh they really didn't do much um, to help. And so consequently, you had these you know, corrupt regimes. Uh, and, you know, eventually it, it spawned, you know, when, when uh, Yeltsin eventually left and uh, Putin came in, the U.S. thought they knew what Putin was going to do. Right. So they're, they're thinking... This is perfect. You know, we're going to be in control. Everything's going to be just dandy. Of course, none of that happened. And uh, but but that's that's when things became very would say ninety eight and thereafter things things started getting pretty tough in Russia. It was not good times, right? And so it went from being extremely prosperous to. Well, the big deals, all this foreign capital that was flooding in. Started seizing up. Was, you know, and plus the fact, because of the fact that you're dealing with a country that doesn't have a legal system that you can trust, it, when, when you have, you know, contracts, the only reason ultimately that contracts are worthwhile other than you know the trust the basic trust between the parties that are in the contract because the the real um, foundation behind everything is if if things go south with the contract parties well there's a legal system right well the US has people a, can be held responsible exactly the, and the US has an extremely robust legal system if you have a contract dispute, you can go to court. You can have that contract dispute solved or, or at least judged. Right. And there's a judgment. And somebody wins, somebody loses, and you're, you get a judgment. And you can go hopefully get your money back or make somebody do what they're supposed to be doing. So in, in Russia, unfortunately, there was none of that. The, the judiciary was a joke. Right. You know, you couldn't, everybody, all the judges were on, you know, just on, to the, highest on the dole, yeah. you know, you just, whoever could pay off uh, was going to get the right judgment. And, and even if you got a judgment. And you couldn't on, hold it. And then on top of that, you had uh, the situation with the government, where the government uh, was utilizing its power to um, go after people. I mean, they were... They were using the judiciary uh, to, uh, you know, just go after people and and ruin people because these people were not in the right political camp, so to speak. So they could use the this this entire judicial system and the laws of the country, especially the tax laws, because you could just go in with what was called the tax police if the tax police showed up at your business. You were in it big was bad trouble. times, oh, boy. because at the, at the minimum you were going to have to pay a lot of money to people in the tax police to get them off your back, 
And in a worst case scenario, if if this push uh, was coming after your company was coming from the high levels, there wasn't any way to pay anybody off. You were going to get closed down and ruined. Mm. This kind of all came to a head uh, with the with a with a legal case where the largest oligarch in the country, uh, a guy named Khodorkovsky, he ran, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but he ran one of the largest energy companies in, in Russia. And this was a private company. Uh, they were, I think they actually had uh, shares that were traded in the United States. And he got crossways with Putin because he thought he could, with impunity, you know, he was a big wig and very wealthy. He thought he could, you know, run for political office and maybe run for president. Right. And take, take on Putin. And he was told, you know, privately, don't do it. You're, he said, stick to your business. He, he had been told... Stick to your business. Don't get involved. And uh, the next thing that happened was the tax police showed up. And effectively, uh, the tax police and then the government completely dismantled his company. Wow. Took it, took it completely. Uh, it was bought up pennies on the dollar uh, by friends of, of Putin and uh, other oligarchs, other or? oligarchs bought up, uh, bought up the company, and uh, he was put in in jail for ten years. And I think it it was in and they, then in addition to the ten, I think they tacked on some more time even after that. But it it put a chill into every single Western um, company that was looking to participate in Russia. Right. And that at any point in time. Well, that included that inclu included some huge players because Exxon was involved. Uh, British Petroleum right. was involved. Uh, there were a number of very, very large energy companies that were in joint venture projects with Kudakovsky's company with, you know, uh, with other companies. And all of a sudden, these people woke up to the fact, oh, my God, you know, we're, we're at the mercy. We, we could be closed out in 10 minutes. Right. And that really just put a complete chill on everything. So it, the, from the period, you know, from uh, when Putin came into office, and not, not right away, but Within a very few years, it became obvious that all of these, um, all of the, this free market business was coming to an end. And all these companies, these private companies, were kind of looking and worrying that they were going to be dismantled as well. So that's kind of where everything changed. <laughs> 